I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing today? Good, man. It feels like, feels like baseball just started, but we the Royals have what? Like nine games left or something? Yeah, Ten? yeah. I Ten? saw they had their, their hazing. Of, well, I guess we don't call it hazing anymore. They had their yeah. rookie dress-up day for the final road trip of the season uh, with all the rookies dressed up in hazmat suits. Very fitting, I think, for the pandemic. But, uh, yeah, that signals kind of the end of the baseball season. It's coming up here pretty quickly. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it seemed like we just got started. It's kind of weird. But uh, also here to send off the baseball season here pretty soon is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm also a little um, messed up regarding what is going on because, you know, as you say, at this point in the year, in a normal year, obviously we've been through, you know, six months of baseball where, you know, if you're in the Royals position where they're losing more than they're winning, you're kind of sort of ready for the season's end. But I'm I'm like, I'm, I'm in it. I'm ready for them to keep going. And then we got like 10 games left. So, you know, not not ideal. But that's the taglines for 2020. So what are you going to say? <laughs> to 2020 not ideal uh, yeah i mean and the royals are actually playing pretty well i mean they're kind of hitting their groove i mean i know it's against crummy opponents but um you know they 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 haven't gotten to face many of those this year this is uh, the pirates and the tigers are like the only two teams they've faced this year that are they're not very good this year and then they're actually playing well against them kind of want to see more of what they can do against those kind of teams uh you know i, I want to see them beat up the orioles and the mariners uh, and we're not going to get a chance to see that this year so yeah, a little weird. We're just kind of just getting started, and the season's already coming to a screeching halt. Uh, but we do have a little more baseball left to be played, and I think we'll we'll kind of wrap up the season when it, when it comes to a conclusion. But uh, the, as for this week, the Royals did shake up their rotation a little bit, and their rotation's been kind of a kind of an interesting uh, bright spot in some ways. I think at least the, the the top four pitchers for this year have been a bright spot, but the the bottom of the rotation may be still a little disappointing. And uh, one of those guys that was disappointing was uh, Matt Harvey, of course. He had a lat strain. That will likely end his season uh, in Kansas City uh, after just a couple of outings and 11.57 ERA. The Royals also optioned Jacob Junis to the alternate site after he posted a 6.94 ERA in six starts. Uh, we also saw Danny Duffy have his start pushed back to Friday uh, as punishment for missing the team flight to Detroit on Tuesday. We can get to Duffy a little bit more in a bit, Matthew, but... Uh, you know, Junis is kind of interesting in that they did go ahead and option him out altogether... Um, and you wrote an article this week about how the Royals are going to have to make some tough decisions on some starting pitchers on whether or not it's time to maybe make the transition to the bullpen. Uh, the Royals kind of floated that idea about Junis in the offseason, and instead they kind of went with him in the rotation, just really more out of necessity when Mike Montgomery went down. There weren't a lot, a lot of great options out there in the, in the starting rotation, but you know, going into this offseason, are we kind of at that point with Jacob Junis where – it's time to move to the pen, or do you think he gets another shot next year? Yeah, I think um, you know, I think he may get another shot next year at the rotation, but probably not for a couple of reasons. Um, Sean tweeted out something um, about how Junis has been more or less the same sort of pitcher since the end of 2018. So, you know, for you know a, a year, well, not two, not quite two years, but he's he's been kind of bleh. For a while now um and you know he between 2017 and 2019 junis is what i would say is like a perfectly boring pitcher like he started all of the games um he you know had an era like uh, in the mid fours um over that over that whole time um and you know that's that's not exactly a, a pitcher that is super exciting but it's a pitcher that you kind of want 
to have because we've certainly seen what it looks like regarding Matt Harvey or, or other pitchers who are like really, really bad. Um, I don't know why the name Sidney Ponson comes to mind. I don't know what's, <laughs> what's, what's wrong with me. I'm paying too much attention to the Royals for too long, but you know, he's, he's been like, you know, fine. You, and you need to get those guys in your rotation better, better yet. If they're, you know, getting paid the league minimum, which Junis was, um, which is another reason why you should develop your starting pitchers. Um, if they're not that great, you're not even paying very much for them. So um, not very much downside there. Um, but, you know, since the start of 2019, he just really, he, you know, over the his last 37 starts, he's been, you know, bad, just flat out bad. Um, and regarding the Royals making decision on what prospects to move or what pitchers to move to the bullpen, you know, I, I made the point in the article that, it, between 2014 and 2016, when Wade Davis was at the height of his powers, and I'm not sure if I've ever seen a better reliever over that time period. He was unbelievable. He had he had like nine wins above replacement over that time period. Um, but Danny Duffy, over that time period, remember that was the sort of time when he was like going in and out of the, the bullpen and the rotation a little bit. He was, he was mostly in the rotation, and he was a good pitcher during that time. He was a good starting pitcher, but you you, you know... He didn't get any all-star votes. He didn't get any Cy Young or MVP votes like Wade Davis did. But he also put up nine war. He actually put up more than Wade Davis was. And I think that's a really good illustration that starting pitchers just have the uh, ability because they pitch way more innings than relievers do. They give your team way more value. And so for all of your starting pitching prospects, you want them to stay as starters as long as possible because as starters – they offer you the most amount of value. But there comes a point when some pitchers, you're, you're going to have to move to the bullpen for one of two reasons. Either one, they're just not cutting it as starters. Or number two, you only have so many rotation spots. I mean, you can't do like a 12-man rotation that just doesn't work, right? you got to have a five-man rotation or a six-man rotation you know, for a whole season. That's really what, what works the best. And so you only have so many rotation spots. And if you take a look and you look at next year and you're like, okay, the Royals have Danny Duffy. The Royals have Brad Keller. The Royals have uh, Chris Bubich. The Royals have Brady Singer. Okay, that's four players right there. Let's say that the Royals go out and get a free agent starter. They've got plenty of money. And that's this will be a topic of discussion later, right? But say they go out and they get somebody else. Well, that's all five rotation spots that have been filled. And in the minors, you've got guys like Daniel Lynch. You've got Jackson Coar. These are like legitimate starting pitching prospects and no rotation spots for them. Um, and this sort of, you know, works itself out most of the times because pe- people get injured, right? Like what you said this year, Michael Montgomery he figured to be a rotation piece this year and he made one start and he got hurt and we haven't seen him since. So that sort of thing sort of evens out in the end. But ultimately the Royals have so much starting pitching talent in the minor leagues that at some point they're going to have to say, okay, you know, we're, we're winning. Um, and you, uh, Mr. Pitching prospect B over here, you may not be, uh, doing poorly, but we think you would do well in the, in the bullpen. Um, or the Royals might have to make a harder choice, like if Brady Singer, who has been excellent lately, proves to not, you know, over over a longer period of time, not be as good against lefties as he could be, um, and just really sort of, you know, toe the line, kind of like a Luke Hochaver type. Um, and, you know, the Royals spend a lot of draft capital on Brady Singer. They may want to keep him as a, you know, as a starter in this hypothetical scenario, but he might... Um, 
you know, it might be best that the Royals eventually move him into the rotation. You know, we don't know. Um, certainly, over the last couple of starts, he's looked really good and looks like it can stick. But the Royals have some decisions to make regarding those prospects and some players that they have on their team, like Junis, um, because the Royals are sort of in a good position here where they've got a lot of talent and they just need to do uh, to use them optimally. Yeah, just getting back to Junis a little bit, like he he's a solid pitcher, like not solid, solid in their respect. He's a one-win pitcher, like kind of the mythical one, one above replacement pitcher who when you're kind of a bad team and you don't have much starting pitching, like he's a fine party rotation. In 2018, he was uh, 4.37 ERA, 4.64 FIP. Uh, he was a 1.5 wins above replacement pitcher. That was their second best pitcher that year. I mean, they were a, a bad team with no no pitching, and you kind of need a guy like that who can take the ball every fifth day and give you 30 starts and then pitch 170 to 190 innings. And he was that guy. He has kind of... I don't know if he's regressed. His numbers have gotten a little bit worse each year. This year, I kind of give him a little bit of a pass. I mean, he, he had that coronavirus positive test, which uh, took out a spring training. Uh, so he started the year late. And uh, I don't know how much that affected him. Uh, but he's certainly a guy that uh, kind of has to kind of kind of uh, thread the needle. He doesn't have much margin for error as it is. He doesn't have overpowering stuff. Um, but I guess, Sean, I'm wondering... In your opinion, like what do we have with Jacob Junis? What what keeps him from being like a guy that can stick in the rotation, and what would make him possibly a, uh, a guy that could succeed in the bullpen if he if he is that kind of guy? Yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> I completely forgot he had coronavirus. It's that's just kind of the point. That's just kind of the uh, an analogy of the season. Is I've already been like, oh my god, I forgot he did have it. Uh, yeah, I mean. I don't know with Junis, like obviously a, a lot of folks that he looked really good early on in his career. And I know he kind of got, well, he got very loose Corey Kluber comps from some people inside the, the Royals review community, which obviously were a little too strong. Um, but he's fun. He's turned, he's turned into a guy that I think that most teams could be good with as a, as a fifth guy. I mean, for his career, you know, he's averaged over one win. I mean, you know, he's not going to go out there and be a world beater, but his issues have always been home runs. Um, but, I mean, his strikeout numbers are good. His walk rates are good. I mean, he's he's a good, solid pitcher that's roughly league average, give or take. And um, it's not as if he's like 32 years old or something. I mean, he's, what is he now, 28 and a day. He turned uh, 28 yesterday. Uh, the day he got demoted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. And so it's not like he's some old guy. I don't know. And, I mean, he's only got i'm not sure what his control is but i, I looks like 2024 going into that season he's a free agent so i mean like i don't know i he's he should be a starter and unless you just straight up don't have room for him in the rotation then you can consider either trading him or moving him to the bullpen but i th- i think his max value is going to definitely be a starter um and he's been fine as one i mean you know was he going to stay as good as he was for whatever it was? I felt like it was like his first 30 or 40 innings. Um, no, but he's been fairly fine for his career other than the home runs and the home runs are just what you have to take. I mean, some guys get hit hard. Uh, you know, obviously he's not Max Scherzer, but Max Scherzer always gave up a bunch of home runs, but you didn't care because he struck out everybody and didn't walk anyone. Um, but obviously, like I said, Junis isn't that, but no, I, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't, 
if you're going to just demote him, I think it would have made more sense just to trade him. Uh, and you know, obviously they can do that do that this winter. But um, yeah, I mean, he's he's someone that I think all 30 teams would want as a, a fifth rotation kind of guy. He he's not a French rotation guy. He should be solidly in in there. He's all really just kind of a, a victim of 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 his time period. Like if if this was not the silly ball and not silly ball, but you know the ear of launch angle and a juiced, possibly juiced ball, almost certainly juiced ball. Uh, he maybe, maybe he has more success. Uh, Cause like you said, his Achilles heel is the home run ball. I mean, I'm looking at his numbers from 2018 to 2020 out of all starting pitchers, qualified starting pitchers. He has the fifth highest home run rate behind Dylan Bundy, Wade LeBlanc, Anthony Del, the Desclafini and Matthew Boyd. So, you know, that's not company you want to hang out with. Uh, but other than that, you're right. His strikeout rate's pretty solid. Um, his walk rate isn't too bad. Uh, other than you know, when he's not giving up home runs, he's a fairly yeah. solid starting pitcher. So, and you and you know who's, who he's kind of close to is is Ian Kennedy, mm-hmm. um, numbers wise. I mean, Ian Kennedy's always had home run issues. Uh, you know, always had above average strike rate, oh, strikeout rates below. Well, excuse me, better than average walk rates. But um, you know, Ian had that one big season with the Diamondbacks where he's worth whatever it was, four and a half wins. Uh, but mostly has been a one to two ish win player. And so, I mean, I, I, and look how much, you know, Ian Kennedy just signed for, got 70 million plus. So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I think that Junis is a fine, a fine rotation piece for, for many a teams. Uh, I did want to move on to Duffy a little bit. You know, he missed the team flight. Uh, there were reports that he was involved in what seems like, I guess, a minor car accident before the flight, which perhaps caused him to fly, uh, to miss the flight. And we don't really have many facts out there. And I don't really want to speculate what's going on with Duffy. This could just be just a car accident. It could be something uh, very, very, uh, you know, not a big deal. Uh, but it did seem to kind of fuel some speculation or not speculation even, but just, uh, you know, some ideas that maybe Danny Duffy might get traded this offseason. And maybe not because of this incident necessarily, but more because the Royals have a lot of starting pitching coming up through the minors. And he's got that $15 million salary uh, that perhaps the club might like to move. Uh, Matthew, do you see Danny Duffy being traded this winter? He, I mean, he's a guy that said, bury me a Royal. He's got kind of a special relationship with, with Dayton Moore and, and an affinity for this organization. But at the, at the end of the day, this this is a business. Uh, could Duffman see his way out of Kansas City at the end of the year? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, over this current rebuild, Dayton Moore hasn't really traded anybody of you know significant value. He's traded people um, when their uh, contracts have, have run out, right? Um, so, you know, he traded uh, Kelvin Herrera, even though he had been a longtime favorite. He traded, uh, you know, Mike Moustakis when he had, um, when they signed him for that one year, and then they traded it, him to Milwaukee. Um, you know, so he has done that for, um, you know, for those kinds of players. And um, I, get, I guess the closest thing is when uh, the Royals traded Wade Davis to the, you know, to the Cubs, right? He was under contract for... Was it a full year or was it two years? So it was another it was, year. One more year. Yeah, yeah, I think it was yeah, it was the full. So Wade Davis is really the only person, and he's a reliever. When those guys get you know relievers get traded all the time, um, I, it's possible that the Royals trade Duffy, um, you know, in uh, next year around the trade deadline because that sort of fits with what Moore has done with his, um, you know, his 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 players that have been on the previous, you know, uh, World Series teams. Uh, I don't see him trading him right now, 
But, I mean, they certainly could. And I really, the Royals should have traded him after 2017, which is after his, for the first year of his, of his new deal. He did really well. Like, that was the time to do it. And they didn't. So I think that they're sort of going to be stuck with him. Not really stuck with him. I think they're going to, you know, they're just going to stick with him. Um, and I do think that that $15 million um, could be a reason why they would want to trade him. But it is also a reason why... Um, other teams would not pay the kind of prospect value that the Royals would probably want for Duffy. Um, and especially with a guy like Duffy, who has been a, you know, a crowd and a fan favorite for a long, long time, for a decade in a Royals uniform. Um, I, I feel like Dave Moore wouldn't just trade him for peanuts, you know? I, so I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Like uh, I, I do think it makes sense. Uh, the Royals have pitching prospects coming up. Maybe you want to try someone out. Uh, get some value back, clear some payroll. Um, but it just doesn't seem to fit with Moore's previous operation, uh, you know, history. Yeah, Mel- Sam Mellinger in a recent Mellinger Minutes, uh, he had a kind of a an aside where I, I think he was, it wasn't reporting as more kind of his, his best guess, but he said that the Royals kind of did shop Danny Duffy around, not in 2017, but I think a little earlier than that. And when they didn't find much of a market for him, they decided to sign him to a long-term deal, which, um, you know, I don't know if that actually was what, what their thinking was. But um, had they maybe not signed him to a deal, maybe that makes it easier to trade him in 2017 if, if that's what they wanted to do at that point. Of course, back then, you know, that's when he kind of peaked and, and looked like he was going to be a really solid starting pitcher. Um, and, and, you know, when he's on, he does look like a really solid pitcher. Uh, and I think he's shown uh, some, some flash that, you know, especially in a short year, like this one, um, he's looked really good. And, you know, of course, the, the issue with him has always been consistency. So, you know, Sean, Matthew kind of touched upon it. But what kind of trade value would Duffy bring at this point in his career if he was shopped this offseason? I mean, he's got one year left of a, of a pretty good deal, of a pretty significant contract. Um, and we know teams are kind of playing it kind of tight with money these days. Um, you know, what could the Royals expect uh, and how much money – if any, would they have to eat on that on that remaining year? Yeah, I think you could get something without having to eat anything on it. Um, obviously, you know, it's it's an inverse relationship between the the more of the contract you pay, the less you give up. But um, no, I mean, I think you could really plug him in in, in a normal year um, as something like a one and a half, maybe two win pitcher. You know, he's thankfully been. Well, I guess last year he was. He had a health issue, but he's still this year at least. I, I don't think this year he's been sidelined for injury, right? Yep. Just kind of obviously missing the flight and everything. So yep. he's, I feel like he's been fairly more healthy over the past year and change um, than maybe we had previously seen. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's only making I think what fifteen and a half million next year. I mean, I think you could break even on that. Uh, you know, maybe maybe you get the Royals to pay a little bit of it, but I think that you know obviously you're not going to get a top one hundred prospect for Duffy, but. I think you could trade into a team that might need some pitching help, um, pay a little bit, maybe two, three million bucks, and and get an okay piece back. Uh, I think he's definitely got value. He's not like 38 or something. I mean, he'll only be 32 next year. So yeah, I mean, I I think you could plug him in. Same thing. Kind of, I think he's like a Junis basically, and good analogy because uh, Duffy also has home run issues. So I think you're working with that, and I don't think he'd be too uh, too costly to acquire and it wouldn't be a like a terror you know you wouldn't get just some random lottery ticket for him i think you could get a, an okay piece back 
Well, if we're talking about starting pitchers, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Brady Singer, uh, who carried a no-hitter into the ninth inning last week uh, and then followed that up with six more shutout innings against the Tigers. Uh, certainly two impressive outings, 14 consecutive scoreless innings for the young rookie. Uh, Alec Lewis had an interesting article at The Athletic where he talked to Keith Law, the prospect evaluator. Law still pretty down on Singer. He says uh, he points out that Singer's been, quote, ridiculously lucky against lefties, allowing a 233 BABIP. Uh, to them with lousy peripherals across the board. Lefties are hitting him harder than righties are and lofting the ball more. Um, so he's still a little bit down on Singer. I guess, Sean, what's what's kind of your been impression? What's been your impression of Singer? Um, you know, he, I think Clint Scholes and a couple other people pointed out that uh, he had, what, seven, eight starts in AAA where he didn't look that great and then kind of figured it out and turned it on. Uh, and we're kind of at that point in the major leagues where he's had seven starts and the last two, it seems like he's really kind of figured things out. Now we'll see if that carries into his next start. Um, but but what what's you know has he moved the needle at all in your mind with his performance this year, or is he still kind of maybe facing the same issues as you maybe thought before the year? Yeah, I mean, I brought that up. I think I brought that up on the podcast last time about how how he starts off slow at most levels. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think Keith has some valid points. Um, I mean, he's thrown, and I'm looking up his StatCast stuff. So he's he's thrown 57% what they're calling a sinker, um, uh, 36% slider, and, and 5% changeup. So it's still the same arsenal we saw in the minors. Um, you know, I think I think there's times. I think it's going to be a frustrating thing because there's two good pitches in him that he could spot really well. Um, and I think when those things are going good in maybe those spans of three, four innings where he just kind of looks on fire, I think, you know, that's, that's when you've got him at his best, but when you've got him where he walks a guy and then he's got a left-handed batter coming up and he's got to throw change up to him and he can't, you know, he just throws another slider. And I think that there's going to be spurts where he looks really good. Um, just given, you know, his ability to, throw and the two pitches themselves but i still think that he's going to be more if he sticks in the rotation he's going to be more a number four number five kind of uh, junas-esque you know i know we keep talking about junas at this time but uh same kind of similar thing where junas has those two good pitches and if you remember junas's slider like early on it was Mm -hmm. just ridiculous right Right. um and so i think you're going to see that the same here with with singer a little bit uh where it's going to be you know there are times he'll look really good and then there'll be times where he kind of just loses it. So I, I think he's, I think Keith has valid points and it's always been the issue and he hasn't yet proven that issue. And of course we're talking 54 innings in, in the major leagues. Um, but I think that there's a scenario where Singer is a league average starter. There's a scenario where he's a reliever and then there's a scenario where, scenario where he's a really good starter. I think the reliever league average starter uh, covers 80% of the outcomes. And then you've still got 20% where he could be above average. So I still do think that the flaws will ultimately stop him from being as good as he maybe can be just because he hasn't really done much with the changeup. But I do think that uh, it's not unrealistic to think that just he could get by on the two pitches alone, which he obviously did um, for the past, whatever you want to call it, two starts or X amount of innings. So. Yeah, I think it's interesting to note the last the last two starts where he did you know throw the shutout innings in, in both starts. Uh, I think he threw a total of, of, of two change-ups in each start. Uh, so he's definitely not working on that. Um, 
but you're right. Like the slider when it's on, I mean, yeah, it, it looks unhittable. And he's got um, nice kind of you know run side, you know, arm side run on his fastball. Uh, so I like I, I love guys with movement, and he's got movement. The walks I think were a little surprising to me. I guess maybe that comes with the you know that's the downside with movement is that sometimes it'll move out of the strike zone. He is uh, does have the 15th highest walk rate among all qualified starters this year. Uh, so that, that's a little concerning. I think that's, that is going to maybe, um, you know, hurt his chances of becoming, like you say, a, a, a top-shelf starter. And I think you're right, like, probably like a number three, number four, probably number four starter seems like the most likely outcome. But, you know, he's a 24-year-old, you know, with a good pedigree, definitely some good tools to work with. So could he improve? Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's got the kind of mentality, it seems like, that he's going to work on his craft and get better at things. Uh, but we'll have to see. Uh, yeah. I like, you know, there's definitely things to to look to, to like from what we've seen so far. I was going back through his game log, and he, so you have to go back. I thought you had to go back further. So you've got one changeup. He retired a guy on against Cleveland two starts ago, and then you're gonna have to go all the way back to uh, what is that? August 22nd, to where he got a twin hitter. He got Max Kepler out with a changeup. Or no, sorry, Max Kepler double. So basically, in one month, he's got one guy out with the changeup effectively. So there's that. That's a good story of what needs to improve. Yeah, uh, Matthew, you kind of touched upon it earlier, but if we were to kind of look at next year's rotation right now, and you can kind of make your best guess and assume we have like a normalish start to the season, uh, which right now is, is still very much in doubt, but if we kind of presume that we'll start April first and we have five Royal starters to start the year. Who do you envision being in that Royals uh, rotation to start the year? Well, assuming they're healthy, I think, you know, the core of it is going to be, you know, the young core that they have, which is Keller, Singer, and Bubich. Um, then the other two, um, I think I think Duffy will be here next year. Um, so that's the fourth. Um, and then, like I said earlier, I think it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for the Royals to get a sort of veteran guy, um, maybe a lower mid-tier veteran guy. Uh, to be the fifth starter, um, you know, the Royals are going to have money to spend. Uh, Kennedy's contract is dropping out after this year. They really don't have any other contracts. And uh, Duffy and Perez's contracts, which are like $30 million combined, are going to be off the books at the end of next year. So they are going to have money. Um, and... I think it's possible that the Royals go out and get a free agent, you know, maybe to sort of posture like, oh, we're, you know, interested, interested to spend. Um, or if not, you know, a, a free agent signing, somebody that they pick up who they think could be a, uh, you know, a bargain um, and who, who they think they can, you know, get some value out of nothing, sort of like what they wanted to do with Matt Harvey. So I think right now that's what I would go with is, is Duffy, Bubich, Singer, uh, Keller and mystery um, veteran of, of some variety. However, there is a lot of variability in that. You know, certainly, I think the Royals want uh, to get. You know, they've they've looked at uh, Carlos Hernandez, um, and I'm not entirely certain that he's ready for the big leagues. Um, his his peripherals have not looked so hot, um, but he's he's certainly looked pretty impressive with his 99 mile an hour fastball. Uh, at times so he is an option um that maybe you wouldn't think about um you know earlier in the year or in a non-covid year but it's covid time so let's let's have some fun uh so he's one option i think that daniel lynch is another option and jackson Coar. like those guys didn't just go away like they're they're there and i think they're ready um but you know you max mentioned something in the comments of, a, of an article today i think the royals are trying to stagger the 
um, arbitration um, and free agency of their pitchers uh, a little bit. So I think that's why we haven't seen uh, those two this year. But they're they're there. They're ready. Again, it comes down to the Royals have only five rotation spots, but they probably have seven guys right now who you can make a case should be in the rotation, Junis being one of them. So um, this is a much, much, much better problem than the Royals have had in the last, I don't know, 10 years regarding the rotation. You know, I even when the Royals were good, I'm not sure if I, you could look at it and say, hey, the Royals are in this position where they've got six or seven guys. You know, they certainly have the, the depth right now. Um, so beyond those sort of three and really four, if you can include Duffy, um, it'll, it'll be fascinating to watch. Here are some of the top starting pitching free agents next year. There'll be uh, Jake Arrieta. I don't know if you want to consider him still a top pitcher. Trevor Bauer, I think, is probably getting the cream of the crop. Uh, Marcus Stroman. Uh, let's see here. Masahiro Tanaka, Jose Quintana could be, you know, a little bit of a discount after uh, uh, his injury this year. Corey Kluber uh, will have his option declined. He could be at a discount after an injury. Um, you have kind of Jay Happ and Cole Hamels, older guys. You also have some interesting kind of younger guys that could be cheap. Uh, Kevin Gallisman. You have Alex Wood, who's been injured. Tawan Walker, who's been hurt. Um so you know some Robbie Ray who's been really lousy the last year or two, but that looked you know pretty impressive early on in his career. Uh, old friends like Jake Odorizzi is, are, is available. Chris Archer, if you want to give him a reclamation deal. So I think there's there's some options out there. Um, Sean, what do you think about the Royals bringing in someone externally, and and when do you kind of see Daniel Lynch and Jackson Coar making their way to the big leagues? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the kind of reclamation uh, reclamation projects, but maybe that's not quite that. But bringing in a, you know, free agent kind of veteran type, I think makes sense if you've got the playing time. And the Royals have the playing time in the um, starting lineup and, you know, the outfield positions. But they don't necessarily have it, I think, in the rotation, um, assuming Duffy is back. Uh, I mean, you know, you've got Duffy, Bubik, Keller, Singer, and a fifth, which should be given between um Coar or Lynch and honestly I think I would I would trade Duffy this winter uh to open up a spot open up excuse me open up two spots effectively and have really roll out that kind of uh dreamed about rotation where it's you know Bubik Keller Singer Coar Lynch um you know you would have all f- five guys below 26 25 i forget how, no killer's younger than singer right um no killer's 25 i'm sorry uh so yeah i mean so basically you would have all guys under 26 uh and so that i think is what needs to be the key for next year i don't think there's any argument that lynch and coar uh lynch or coar aren't ready i would be okay with breaking coar in uh through the bullpen first and then the rotation but i see no reason why you know april 1st of next year uh, it shouldn't be the you know the the younger guys um, or you know you could do Carlos Hernandez and then break in Coar but I think I think come June first the rotation needs to be Keller Singer Bubik Coar Lynch sorry had to keep all that straight in my head as I said <laughs> yeah and we're not even mentioning Aza Lacy who you know he was just drafted this oh, year yeah. but um, I, he's a you know, pretty col- polished. Uh, college arm, and you wouldn't think that he would have to spend too much time in the minors. I mean, I I would expect he goes, you know, if there's a minor league season, which I hope there is, I would expect him to go to the minors, but he may not spend all summer there. There's also guys like, you know, Austin Cox or, you know, other names out there that 
um, have been pretty pretty good in the minors. And of course, they didn't get a chance to show what they could do this year. Carlos Hernandez, I guess uh, we can throw him into the mix. Although, um, you know, he's he, he came up straight from low A ball, uh, and they may want to get him some more seasoning. But you know, I I think they're in a pretty good position going into this offseason where they can kind of go with the guys they have now because they have got they've got some depth, but they also have with that depth they've got a couple guys who could probably transition to the bullpen pretty well. I mean, first of all. We forget Mike Montgomery's still in the mix, I guess. Uh, I imagine he moves to the bullpen as kind of like their sixth starter if they need him. Um, and and he, I think they've got him for a couple more years under club control. So he, he's he's probably like the odd man out. But I, I do agree. It's probably going to start the year with, with Keller, Singer, uh, Junis, and Duffy. Uh, and then that – that um, who am I missing now? Oh, Boobich and Chris Boobich. Boobich. Yeah. Um, and then if Coar and Lynch and or Lacey – is a, is ready at like in some time point some point in the midseason then you can you can move Junis to the bullpen at that point if he's struggling you can move you know possibly move Danny Duffy to the bullpen where I, I've always thought he would make a really good reliever uh, but like you know Matthew pointed out I think there's probably more value as a starter um, I think Duffy also becomes probably easier to trade midseason since he only has like uh, would only have like six seven million dollars left on his deal which another team could probably absorb pretty. Uh, much more easier than if they had them the whole year. So I think they have a lot of different options they could go with. And it's it's really a nice position to have where you have a lot of different starting pitchers coming up because all those guys have options. All those, all those young guys have options left. And you can, you know, if a guy is struggling, you can kind of send him down. If he's not ready, if guys get hurt, um, they have a lot of different ways they can go. And I think that's where you, you want to have like eight, nine guys that you can put in your rotation if you have young guys because you don't want to be in a position where like the early 2000 Royals where it's like, Man, we gotta throw Zach Greinke out there because we got no one else uh, coming up from Omaha, and uh, and then you can start making bad decisions about you know that, that don't have pitching development in mind. They have kind of fielding a baseball team in mind, and uh, that's when the Royals kind of got themselves into some trouble uh, a couple decades ago. I don't think they're going to be in that position this year, so I think it's it's a pretty good spot for them to be in. Uh, and I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what the rotation. It's it's been a bright spot, I think, a little bit this year, and I think it'll be a real nice bright spot bright spot next year when we see kind of more of these young arms. Uh, I did want to kind of touch upon um, uh, the demotion of Ryan McBroom. He was kind of a fan favorite, I felt like. Uh, certainly endeared fans with uh, three pinch hit home runs this year, which uh, was a club record. But he did go for, you know, go into a, a one for 20 slump uh, before his demotion. Um, doesn't seem like maybe he won't be in the plan. It seems like maybe he won't be in the plans for next year uh, with Hunter Dozier playing first base on a more regular basis. Uh, Matthew, did you did you feel like Ryan McBroom got a fair shot uh, at the big league level with the Royals? And and you know, is he a guy that we're is he a guy that we're going to lose much sleep over if if he never really makes it with the Royals? You know, I to answer that second question, I think you know we really won't lose a lot of sleep. There are guys like Ryan McBroom everywhere where they have a strong record track record of success through AAA, um, but they're like 27 um, and they only play like corner outfield and or first base. So there are guys like Ryan McGroom everywhere. Um, I, I, I do like it when teams like the Royals give those guys a shot because who knows, you know, he might turn into something. Uh, Ryan McGroom has certainly, you know, been not bad. He's been like a league average hitter, which is, you know, more than you can say for a lot of the Royals um, further down the batting order. Um, but I, you know, I, I do think that what they said, um, I think it was in a Flanagan article, they said something along the lines of the Royals wanted to get him right. Um, and there just wasn't playing time for him at the big league level. Um, so they wanted to get him at bats in order for him to work through a slump like 
Mondesi was able to or what Merrifield was able to, it's really hard to work through a slump if you're only getting, you know, one or two starts a week, uh, you know, or even, you know, less than that. If you're even if you're only getting a couple of plate appearances a week, it's hard to work through a slump. So that sort of makes sense. I imagine we'll see him next year in some capacity because, again, he can play, you know, corner outfield. He has he has played corner outfield. So. You know, I, th- I think that's certainly a possibility, but I, you know, he's he's definitely not the future. You know. Yeah, I, I, he's it's not like he's some young young prospect. You know, this isn't like, uh, you, uh, you know, some of the you know, like, well, I guess he's, he's kind of analogous to Kila Kahui or Justin Huber, one of those guys who uh, kind of put a good minor league numbers and look good in flashes, but um, you know, ultimately couldn't get it done at the big league level, and maybe. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know if we're going to sweat too much over Ryan McBroom. Uh, I don't know, Sean, do you have any last thoughts on my, Ryan McBroom if this is maybe the last chance we get to see him in Kansas City? No, I mean, I just, you know, they, they got him for free for a reason. Um, and, you know, if there's one team that, well, Luke Voigt excluded, I guess. Well, oh, no, never mind. Luke, yeah, yeah, I'll exclude Luke Voigt. But if there's one team that kind of knows, like, they're minor league guys pretty well. It's the Yankees. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, I won't lose any sleep either over uh, McBroom. You know, hope hope he gets a chance somewhere else or if he doesn't have one Kansas City. And, you know, he, he could legitimately deserve maybe, you know, 500 plate appearances somewhere for a rebuilding team. But, well, the Royals are exactly that scenario. Excuse me. But I I, I hope. I hope the guy will, but yeah, I I won't miss him. I think we've got other guys we can uh, give a shot in the outfield too. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about changes to baseball's postseason and whether they're here to stay. Well, uh, baseball announced that the postseason will be played in virtual bubbles this fall. The American League playoffs will be played in Los Angeles and San Diego, while the National League will play their playoffs in Houston and in the Dallas area, with the World Series being played at Global Life Park, home of the Texas Rangers. Uh, because there will be no travel days, this year's postseason will be played with no off days. And Matthew, I think that throws kind of an interesting wrinkle into things. And I guess teams didn't know that um, going into the trade deadline. Uh, at least a couple of general managers, I think, suggested they didn't. That was kind of new information to them. Um, so I, I you know, it's, it's, they're going to have to kind of cobble together a five-man rotation if they don't have one already. But I don't know. Like, is this kind of a good development for the World Series and the playoffs to, to kind of see baseball play the way it is in the regular season? Yeah, I mean, so one of the one of the biggest criticisms that I, you know, saw of playoff baseball, especially after the Royals, I won't say they pioneered it, but they certainly were one of the the teams that you can point to recently. Like their rotation was okay, um, but they just had a killer bullpen. And then other teams, you know, you think of like the Indians and the Brewers afterwards, who you know had a lot of really great bullpen arms um, and just really leaned into it. The Brewers, when they went to the NLCS, they were they were particularly like that, where they just used their bullpen like so much. And well, I mean, it worked. They got to the the NLCS. Um, but I I think that even as someone who likes how playoff baseball can be very different from normal baseball in that every pitch matters and everything. It's almost, if you give so many days off, it's almost like it's a different like game because in the regular season, what do you need? You need starting pitching. You need a good bullpen, but you need to get through those innings. But in the, in the playoffs, you can, 
kind of fake it. Like you can have your starter start for a couple of innings and then just go to your bullpen and just ride those guys like time after time. And it's just such a weird flip of which players have value uh, in in the in the postseason. I, I do like that it sort of is more similar to the regular season because you think of other sports, their postseason games are just just like normal games. It's not like an NFL playoff game is any different than uh, an NFL regular season game. You know, NBA games are a little different in that your players play more minutes, right? But it's not like a totally different, you know, thing. Um, in, in baseball, like a playoff game can just be completely divorced from what you would see in the regular season, just like so significantly in multiple games like that. So I kind of like that. I do not like that baseball was not informing people of that ahead of time, but um, you know, it's Rob Manfred. So of course they didn't, you know, why would they do something competent? Um, You know, that part sucks, especially for teams that would have gotten more bullpen help or not bullpen help necessarily, but starting pitching help. Um, that thought they were able to rely on their bullpen more and now can't. So that, that sucks. But I do like how it's more like regular baseball. And I also kind of like the idea that we're in a bubble. Um, I don't like it when there's fans because I think the hometown fans just make, you know, baseball um, and NBA, you know, games and world series and, NBA finals like really really cool and really unique where you go to the Super Bowl and it's you know it's not really like one team or the other so that I kind of like I bet they're that they're doing the neutral series with no fans I would not like that if they did that with fans um, so yeah it's, it's just kind of a mixed bag but it's certainly interesting and I, I do like um, that there is more similarity between the playoffs and the regular season as far as style of game. Yeah. It's interesting though. There hasn't been really much discussion in prior years about how different the postseason is. Like you mentioned, like it just, it's a totally different ball game where you just, you're throwing everything, you know, throwing the chick, the kitchen sink out there and every reliever you have that you think can get out whenever you can. Um, and that's not the way baseball's played during the regular season. Man, that's part of that's because of the marathon of, of, of the season. Um, and, but there's never been like a discussion on how to, maybe rectify that. And this isn't new. I mean, even back in the eighties teams went with like three man rotations in the, in the world series where they just basically had the three best starters go. Um, and that's not how, you know, you operate during the regular season. So um, yeah, it's kind of nice to see them kind of have to manage games a little bit more similar to how they manage in the regular season. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's going to be hard to do that in the future, unless I do have the playoffs in like one site, uh, I guess what you could do, maybe, you know, you could have a neutral site, but like you say, that might be harder to get fans uh, to the game. I don't know if people are going to travel for like one or two playoff games at a neutral site uh, during a series. Um, You could have a situation maybe where the team with home field advantage gets the entire series at home. I think they would probably run into some disagreement with other owners that don't want to see, don't want to give up those those home games. Uh, I don't know, Sean. Like, is there any way to kind of? First of all, do you, do you like this this change? And I guess second of all, is there a way to make this permanent at all? I mean, I I, I don't have an issue with the postseason format. I know there's been a lot of discussion on like, is this going to be a true champion? You know, can you call a team that wins this like the actual World Series champion compared to the past ones? And I mean, like, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think he can. I, I was thinking, like, there's been talk of, like, just 100 games and, you know, 60 isn't 60 games is obviously 60% of 100, 100 games. But I think that if you reduce it to 100 games, I don't think anybody would bat an eye. And I think if you look at the playoff teams, I mean, they're pretty much all teams you expect to be good. I mean, the Rays, the Yankees, uh, the White Sox are maybe surprising-ish, but they have a good team. And I don't think anybody's going to argue that they're not a good team. Uh, the Athletics, the Dodgers, I mean... The Marlins are the kind of... The, I mean, they're yeah, only 500, yeah. but... Yeah, so those are the one. Like, yeah, so like a Marlins one or Cleveland, who's... I think people would argue have a good team, actually. Well, they had a good team before they traded away a couple of guys. Uh, but I think there's guys like that that you could be like, okay, this is a legitimately good team. So I think that as long as, yeah, you're not doing the NBA where it's, you know, you could have sub-500 teams really get in, which there's a chance, but it's unlikely. Um, I, I think this is a valid thing, and I would like to see it stay. Uh, I think the more games, the better. Uh, you know, it's good for the sport. It's good for the revenue. It's good for the fan base to have more games, uh, more postseason games, excuse me. Uh, so I've got no issue with it. And I don't think that anybody would argue, you know, as long as the games are long enough is the issue, right? If it's a one, if it's like the previous uh, wild cards where it's one game, like that's an issue. Um, but if we, but if you make it a three game series or a five game series, then you're really talking about the best team should come out on top most of the time. Um, yeah, Matthew, we had a pretty good uh, discussion about the expanded playoffs and whether or not they're here to stay. Uh, Rock Commissioner Rob Manfred did say that it's one of these changes I hope will become a permanent part of our landscape and there's an overwhelming majority of owners that supported the idea for this year and we'll have to see. It's something they'll have to negotiate with the union um, as far as, uh, as keeping this permanent where they have eight teams from each league. But, I mean, if this goes well, and well meaning, you know, makes money for baseball – uh, it's hard to see them putting the genie back in the bottle. Uh, there's no league that's like, uh, you know, reduce the number of playoff teams. Um, I guess what what are your thoughts on having expanded playoffs? Um, you know, I know that there's some on our site, uh, Hokias and Josh Kaiser seem to be kind of for it. Uh, I think you and I and maybe David Lesky were probably the most against it. Uh, what what have you changed your mind on that? And what do you think about the expanded playoffs? Well, I think overall, I'm I'm kind of neutral. I don't like the fact that the that at the moment more teams than half make the playoffs. I I just think that's self-evidently stupid. I you know I I have no real argument for this other than I feel that the playoffs should be something that you achieve, and if you don't have to basically do anything more than be a 500 team to get in, I don't think that's that just that that part bothers me, but. Some of the other arguments, I've seen some other, you know, some other people argue pretty vehemently against um, the the new format. Uh, Dan Zamborski on Twitter was, you know, was ranting a, a lot of yesterday, and he's very passionate about it, and other people are very passionate about it. But I, I think overall that it's not really going to change a whole lot of stuff. Um, I mean, you think about the core things. So people are like, oh, well, some of these eight seeds might beat these one seeds. Well, first of all, is, isn't that more fun? Isn't it more fun to see upsets in sports? Like, isn't that why we, we watch them? You know, otherwise we just, you know, send the best two teams to the to the World Series. But the other thing is that I think overall, more of the better teams are going to win than the lower seeds. That's just going to happen. I mean, it's less likely that that happens in baseball, right? But it's still going to happen. I mean, 2014 was the only World Series where there were uh, two um, wildcard teams in it for a reason, which is most of the wildcard teams, even when there were only four playoff teams per league, 
just get knocked out by the better teams. Like that's just how it works. And sure, it might not be as uh, big of a discrepancy between say two, uh, you know, an NBA one seed and an NBA eight seed, but the the number one seeds and number two seeds are still going to win most of the time. So I don't think that's, you know, that's pretty similar to how it is now. Um, the other thing is, you know, there's a concern that um, teams might not be interested in being as good um, or would be more interested in being mediocre for a long time because you can get into the playoffs like that. I don't really think that that's going to change a whole lot either because, uh, you know, owners and executives are a really competitive group, as are baseball players, obviously, and they want their teams to be good. So they're, you know, yeah, you could be mediocre, but everyone knows that the best way to win a World Series is to have a really good team, and you're not going to just, you know, lucking into it is a is just a bad plan. And for these competitive people that want to be as good as possible, I don't think that that's, you know, if moving forward, it's not going to be very very different. Um, so I. I don't like some parts of it, but I think other parts of it, the the downsides that people are saying, oh, this is horrible. I, I'm not entirely certain that it's really going to be much different other than the fact that there's more teams in the playoffs. I do think that the one thing that the uh, league could do is you know play around with different types of game formats, right? So with 16 teams in the league or 16 teams in the playoffs, we're kind of in a, uh, a unprecedented waters in terms of how many teams play how many games and what kind of, you know, levels uh, of, of series it is. So I think that there is certainly some uh, tweaking that the league could do maybe after this year to see how it all, you know, works out. Um, so, you know, even if it, it doesn't work out great this year, there's some tweaks that they could do to make it work out uh, better in the future. So, oh, and the other thing is we're probably going to have some expansion, which is, I know, like another, you know, thing altogether. But if we get 16 playoff teams with 32 MLB teams, you know, that that works out a lot better. So I, I have to wonder if the league is thinking towards the future on, on that one. Yeah, I, I will take one issue with with one of your points is that I don't know if owners are that competitive. I, you know, just looking at what they did the last couple off seasons, um, <laughs> there's some teams out there that probably could have done a lot more, uh, that didn't. Uh, and so I don't, I think if there's that low hanging fruit there, uh, I, I don't know that there, I think they're going to be like, I think there are going to be definitely some owners that are going to be like, well, we make the playoffs once in a while with a mediocre team. I don't have to invest that much in the team. It's going to make it a little bit easier. Um, I, but I, I think I'm probably overstating that. I think that's that's probably going to be happen happen no matter what, just because of the economics of the game and people figuring out that maybe like free agency isn't as great of an investment as we once thought. Um, so I, I, my big issue with it, number one, I think I've stated before, I'm a I'm more of a purist. I if it was totally up to me, I'd have one American League champion, one National League champion, no playoffs, just the best team in the American League, best team in the National League face off in the October, and and that would be it. Uh, I know that that that's uh, that's you know 50 years ago, uh, and that's not coming back. But um, you know the the more rounds of playoffs that you add, number one, it just to me it devalues the the regular season a little bit. I think there's there should be I think there should be a big deal to being the best team during the regular season. At the very least, we should have like a trophy or something like that for like you know I think the NHL has the Champions Cup I think for the for the top uh, team in the regular season. There needs to be some sort of recognition for like 
like the the 2001 Seattle Mariners that won 116 games but lost in the playoffs. It's like that's still a pretty cool accomplishment, uh, and there, there isn't kind of any recognition for that. Um, and just also the more playoff games you add, like the more meaningless those become a little bit. Just you know, like I can I can tell you who was in like every ALCS from like 1982 to 1995 when they expand the playoffs. After that, I don't remember. Because there's just more rounds of playoffs, and I'm like, well, do they face each other in the divisional series, the championship series? And it all becomes one big blur, and I, I don't know. I know that's not the biggest deal in the world, but it, it makes the playoffs seem less to me now. So I, I don't know. That's just why I'm kind of against it. But it's it's probably one of those things where I'm just kind of the cranky old purist. And, you know, I was against the wild card at first, and I still was against it for many years. And then they tweaked it uh, to have the one-game playoff, which I think was pretty cool and did put – uh, more of an emphasis on you know um, winning your division, which I think I think it's good to have those kind of you know if they have an expanded playoffs, I think they do need to build in some sort of uh, advantage to being good during the regular season. Otherwise, um, it, it, I think it's just going to value thing devalue the regular season. You'll see teams rest a lot of guys in September because they know they're going to make the playoffs, and it doesn't matter what seed they are. Um, so they're, they're going to have to build that in. And I think they can. Um, so I'm not. I'm against it. I'm not like maybe militant against it, like maybe Dan Zimborski or some other people. It, you know, it's all in the implementation, but um, I, I, I don't like that. I don't like the direction they're going in. But I, I, at this point, it's kind of like it's an inevitability. So just just go along with the, go along with the flow, I guess. Um, I, I guess we'll wrap up a little bit. Uh, the postseason is not quite here, but is there maybe a, a, a matchup that you're looking forward to, Sean, among World Series teams? Um. You know, it's things that the I was really looking forward to see. It, it's it's the dumbest thing you could do to think that the A's are going to actually go very far in the playoffs. But and the same thing. Well, but then again, we thought that I thought the Nationals would never go anywhere because they never do, and then they win it. Um, I was really looking forward to seeing the A's, but they lost Chapman, so that kind of hurts it a little bit. But I think the White Sox are really cool. I, I, I know you're not supposed to root for a division rival, but I like the I like the White Sox roster a lot. I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, after Giolito, I mean, Keiko's good. Uh, but I think like, if you're going to run Dylan Cease out there, that's like when the Royals are running out, like, uh, like Vargas or Guthrie, you're like, all right, like, gosh, I, I just hope they don't get destroyed. Um, and you know, in Guthrie's case, it, you know, didn't happen. Uh, but Cease, I, I just, I like almost all of the White Sox roster. I think that's going to be cool. Um, the Rays, I know you and I talked about earlier on uh, before the season even started. I think it was before the season started. We talked about teams we thought were going to squeeze every single little win out of six out of the 60 games. And I think the Rays have done that. Um, so I think that the AL is so much better. I mean, like, I know you've got the Dodgers and the Padres. But I think after that, I think the AL has a lot more depth. Um, and I'm excited to see those matchups. But you know, who in the heck knows what's going to happen to the NL Central. The Cubs aren't that great. I know that they're 30 and 20, but they're not. I don't think they're particularly great. And I think it'd be Dodgers, Padres, if and when they play, that's going to be the NL showdown. That's going to be really cool. Yeah, I think the White Sox and the Padres are kind of the two up and coming young teams. I mean, first of all, yeah. we haven't seen them uh, in the playoffs in a while. Uh, we haven't seen the Padres. Well, I guess we haven't seen either of them in the World Series in over a decade. Um, yeah. So it'd be a, a fresh. Uh, matchup and and also they've got the, all the young talent that would really be great for the game to kind of display you know Fernando Tatis Jr. Eloy Jimenez Luis Robert so 
that I think would be I think that's probably the sexiest matchup out there. Um, Matthew, do you have a preferred matchup that you'd like to see out there? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the most exciting matchup would be, uh, you know, White Sox Padres. That that would be, you know, a lot of young, young talent. There'd be a lot of bat flips. It'd be be pretty great. Um, I would. So in this, this field, I know this is very weird being as the Los Angeles Dodgers have been just like the juggernaut over the last while, but they've just never completed you know they've ne- they've never gotten it done. They have been so good for so long, and they've had so many heartbreaking losses. And I'm thinking about poor Clayton Kershaw, poor future Hall of Famer Clayton Kershaw, who's just gone through so much and doesn't have a ring to show for it. I you know it'd be really cool if the uh, if the Dodgers finally you know pulled it out. I think that'd be great. Um, if not that, um, I think it would be great to see. The Tampa Bay Rays, the Oakland Athletics, or the Minnesota Twins make a deep playoff run. Um, probably the the Twins and the Athletics more so than the Rays. Uh, I just I you know it, it those teams generally don't you know go very far in the postseason. The Rays because they're always you know blocked by the Yankees and the Red Sox being great, um, and the Twins and Athletics because they just keep losing to the Yankees. You know one of them's not going to face the Yankees or the so, Royals. Or the Royals, right? So, theoretically, um, one of them is, you know, going to advance, maybe. And then the other thing is if they play each other, then one of them will advance because that's just how it works. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it'd be really cool. I think an order of, of coolness, I think Dodgers first for me to win. Um, and then second, um, Oakland, uh, just for Billy Bean to finally get it. And third, the Minnesota Twins for, you know, payback for losing so many dang you know, playoff games in a row. Yeah, I think the the Dodgers, it's kind of crazy they haven't won a World Series uh, with all that talent they have. I kind of like to see them and the Twins uh, just because, number one, it's a rematch of the 1965 World Series, which everyone remembers, of course. Uh, but also just, you know, they're two teams, they're going to hit a lot of dongs. Uh, they have pretty good, bull, you know, pretty gosh darn good bullpens. Uh, and I, they're two teams that haven't won in over 30 years, so... Uh, and you kind of have the, the the big market versus small market dynamic, West Coast versus Midwest. Um, so I think that'd be a really interesting matchup. I, you know, there are a couple I think really interesting ones. Um, I think probably the most boring would maybe be Yankees Dodgers. Um, but I think you know I think there's I think we've got a, a good chance of getting an interesting World Series. Rays being in the, the Rays being in the World Series would be really interesting. Uh, Cleveland I don't know if they have the horses this year, but you know if they can get their world, first World Series and you know in 60, 70 years some years. Um, that would be really interesting. So I think we've got a, I think we're up for a really good postseason. Um, and uh, you know, even if it's an expanded playoff, I'm going to tune in and and uh, and and watch and see how this thing turns out. I was going to say, yeah, I think White Sox Padres is the one that would be the best. Um, you know, the, the Dodgers would be fine too. I like the Dodgers. They've got a somehow they have. I feel like the Dodgers get underrated in the sense that you think of the White Sox and Padres as these young rosters, but like the Dodgers have a ton of young guys too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that would be cool. And I, I think the Twins would be cool to see, too. I, I like everybody on that roster. It's a very weird roster the Twins have. Um, but, you know, I think it would be really great if the, the, the White Sox should try, to, should try to get a player like Fernando Tatis Jr. Like, that would really, really set them up. But, you know, unfortunately, those guys, those guys get traded for guys like James Shields. So it's hard to come by those assets. Can you imagine uh, Dobnak in the World Series? That would just be like some 80s stuff. It would well, be, be perfect. It'd be Jeremy Guthrie in Game Seven World Series starter. <laughs> yeah, I'd be interesting to see how they match up their 
their rotation with, uh, especially with no off days, uh, especially and against the Dodgers or a team like the Dodgers or somebody that has really loaded pitching staff, that could be really interesting to see. You can't wait to see the Rays have roll out uh, nine pitchers in one game. <laughs> they go, you know, the three batter minimum each. Yeah, yeah, they're they're going to be really creative about that. So. Uh, let's wrap it up with our Royals review reviews this week. Uh, Matthew, why don't you uh, lead it off tonight? All right. So um, the year is 20-some years ago, and I shouldn't lead with the year as I not know the year, but a long time ago there was a game released for the N64 and PlayStation uh, called Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, and it was really cool, um, pretty fun. And just uh, earlier this month, um, the remaster of the first Tony Hawk Pro Skater and the second Tony Hawk Pro Skater um, was released for a variety of systems, including you know Xbox One and PlayStation uh, 4. And uh, you know remasters are honestly kind of hit and miss um, because it's really hard to nail the you know the essence of a game that's 20 years old, you know, while also sort of bringing it into modern you know gaming. But I I think that it's sort of a testament to how good those original Tony Hawk Pro Skater games were that uh, the, the remaster is fantastic. It really nails it. You get um, you know a lot of the old school feel of those Tony Hawk Pro Skater games. Like that is not the type of game that would ever get made today. Um, but they added enough uh, you know things. Uh, you know there's there's a create a skater thing um, and there's uh, all kinds of. Uh, you know, cosmetic goodies that you can unlock and, and there's skills and there's, you know, achievements and there's, you know, a lot of different ways to, to play rather than just, you know, going around and, and doing tricks. Um, and it's it's really, really good. It's a really good game and it'll probably bring back some, you know, moments of nostalgia when you load up the, the warehouse and Tony Hawk Pro Skater and go down the ramp and you're like, oh man, I remember when I did this and was drinking, I don't know, Sunny Delight or whatever. Um, as a kid, it, it you know it's 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 a very good game, and I would recommend it if only because it's a lot different than you know the games that are out there now. It's not a shooter. It's not an open world adventure. You know, you're just on a skateboard doing things on a skateboard um, and making falls that would kill a normal human, but you just get right back up on the board and <laughs> keep going. So uh, it's it's a testament to how good the games. Uh, they were again, uh, and I would recommend it, especially because you don't have to look at the 20 year old N64 and PlayStation graphics, which have not aged well. <laughs> I was going to ask you guys are either of you planning on buying the PlayStation 5 for $500? Um, I, I am eventually. Uh, I've got, I've got, I, I have a test I have to study for uh, that runs up. It's like December 5th is the test, so I'll be plugged away. But after that, yes, I, I plan on. Uh, plan on buying it buying the physical i'll even splurge with the physical one because i'm a physical i like to have the physical version um besides all digital so nah. is, is that the only real advantage to it is that it has backwards compatibility because yeah i, mean, I, I was trying to see like why, why it would be worth it and uh, like you know you know like you kind of assert like most of the games are digital now so maybe that's not an issue so yeah i like having the physical disc of games because like god forbid I could take it somewhere, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if I go over to like my like my brother's house, we could play it. Like if I have a, especially if I have a sports game, if I have FIFA, like I would just go take the disc over there. So I like it for that reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you live all digital, which a lot of people do now, then there's no reason. But you know, when GTA Six comes out, I'm not going to be downloading a 250 gigabyte <laughs> file like in spending eight hours to do that. I'll just go buy a game. So that's my opinion, Matt. What do you think? 
Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I, I use most of my, my digital games, uh, or most of my games are digital now. Um, every once in a while, I will buy something on a disc um, because it's on sale on a disc. Um, so, you know, that's that that's I'll, I'll probably get the, the, the disc version of it uh, when I do. Um, but the thing about it now is you buy consoles for the games, and currently there's not really any games coming out this yeah. fall, this year, for those new consoles that you couldn't otherwise play on my PS4 or Xbox One that I already have. At some point, I am going to get a PS5, uh, and I'm probably also going to get uh, an Xbox Series X as well. Um, oh but goodness. the you know the the games that I that I want for those uh, systems they're just not out yet, right? Um, Halo's not going to be out until next year, and God of War and Horizon Zero Dawn are going to be out until next year. So there's there's really kind of no no point um, to get it this fall, other than say if you skipped a generation, right? So if you didn't have a PS4, um, you know. PS5, you know, that's a great idea. But if you did have a PS4, or you did have an Xbox One, or you had both, there's no, no real point to getting it. And I, I frankly do not understand the pre-order, like, shenanigans and everyone getting really unhappy about it. Because, like, so what? You're just going to be able to play those games on the consoles you have, you have yeah. now. Just wake me up next year when right. they have games for those systems that are optimized for those <laughs> systems. Yeah, I was thinking that too. There's people who are excited to go pay five hundred dollars for a console, just play the games they already own on a console they can already <laughs> play it on. Well, Sean, what do you have for us this week? Um, I've got two things real quick. One, um, I just a random good movie I like that I I watched again for the first time. It's a little old. It was two thousand two. It's called The Dancer Upstairs. Um, it's Javier Bardem. Uh, it's one of his kind of earlier movies, uh, directed by John Malkovich. Uh, strangely enough, he's only directed two movies. This is one of them. Um, it's uh, about like a Peruvian detective who there's there back in the nineties there was this uh, in Peru there was this big uprising and revolution this communist resolu- rev- uh, res- revolution and so this thing kind of goes through that it's a thriller action mystery kind of thing but it's just fantastic and I love Javier Bardem uh, so there's that one also I'm a bit of a space film uh, nerd or you know fan um netflix has this series called challenger final flight um i've read uh really a couple good books about both columbia and challenger uh i i think that uh you know i i don't mean this in a, in a weird bad way but i think the columbia disaster is a little more interesting um of course it's more kind of when i was uh, young wasn't born uh when challenger uh, had its tragedy, but there's a really good one out there on Netflix, uh, a series that goes over it, and it's just interesting um, and speaks a lot about NASA and you know, kind of the um, gosh, uh, the ego that NASA had that led to the ultimate um, deaths of those astronauts, unfortunately. But, anyways, uh, Final Flight on Netflix is really, really good too. It's uh, like a five-part episode or docu series. That's interesting. Yeah, the Challenger is one of those uh, the, one of those moments when people ask like, what's the first news event like major event that you remember in your life like that that was mine like I think oh it was yeah first or second grade when uh and i can't remember if we watched it live in school because a lot of people claim to have seen it live in school and i think yeah. we probably did but i i can't i don't know if i actually remember that or if that's just an implanted memory of like people talk about it so much that i remember it but anyway i i do remember i remember uh that the news of that um uh, and and that incident i think I mean, you know better than me. It's, it pops up in all these business school and management school uh, textbooks yeah. about like 
all the things that went wrong, how can how you can avoid kind of catastrophes like that. So that's that'll be interesting to see kind of that kind of uh, broken down into a, a series like that. So, um, so my Royals review this week uh, review reviews uh, is uh, people kind of accuse us of being like sponsored by the Athletic because we kind of praise it so much, uh, and we are not sponsored by the Athletic. And if it was a bad publication. I would tell you it's a bad publication, but the truth is they do a lot of good work. Um, I don't know if it's a sustainable business model, but they they are certainly pumping out some quality content. Uh, and there was a couple articles this week uh, I, th- I think are probably worth, worth your time. The first is uh, an article by Alec Lewis. It actually came out today, I believe, um, where he kind of goes over the Royals' uh, pitching development philosophies over the years from Bill Fisher in the uh, mid-2000s, uh, where he kind of had some old-school... Um, absolutist uh, rules, which maybe worked at one point, um, probably kind of fell out of fashion at some point. Um, and, and he kind of favored more kind of keeping pitchers healthy more than anything. And it really kind of, kind of talks about how the Royals have really evolved from that to more of a, uh, a more of an analytical based approach with Mitch Stetter, who is their uh, minor league pitcher development uh, guy, um, kind of looking at looking at things and saying that we need kind of a um, a case by case basis when it comes to pitchers. Let let pitchers throw what they throw well at the amateur level, um, and let's not have a one size fits all solution. So that's that's a really good piece that I would highly recommend. And then the, there's a really interesting piece by Jason Stark uh, this week about uh, Rich Dotson, who uh, was a pitcher in the '80s. He actually pitched briefly for the Royals uh, one year at the end of his career, but um, just kind of an interesting, kind of wild story about um, he happened to take one of those. Uh, I think it was like 29, uh, 23 and me DNA kits uh, just kind of by chance because the rest of his family did it. And what he discovered was he had a, this family had a secret that they had never talked about. Uh, and that is that his father uh, was not his father. His father was actually a man that he never knew. And his father happened to be a big league pitcher as well. And so Jason Stark kind of gets into that story about how Dotson discovers that, um, how they discover that his dad looks very much like him and um as his mother has passed away and so they can't get really get any ans- answers from her but it's it's a really interesting story and i would i would definitely recommend it uh, not a long read at all but um definitely i think the athletic is worth a subscription your mileage may vary but um but they're they're pr- producing some pretty good content out there and i would at least recommend those two articles so i've i've heard a couple of those stories of people who have taken like 23 and me tests mm-hmm. and like it turns out yeah i mean it's a it's a gigantic secret like it's exposed i know that um i I listen to the howard stern show and i'll admit it uh but there's a guy on there that like his father had you know had tons of affairs and they basically like the guy had to tell his sisters like stop taking these tests because every time they take one they find a new sibling they legitimately found three or four siblings oh my and they're just like stop taking these tests because it's not doing anybody any good and it's just hurting the mother so uh but anyways yeah there's it's just crazy the world you know where we're at now where we can find siblings through a DNA test. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really wary of taking those tests just because, I mean, that's my DNA. That, and yeah. I don't know that the laws of, are sufficiently safeguarding my, uh, my DNA <laughs> from these companies. So uh, I'm a little wary of that, but I am a little curious. I just, I don't, I'm pretty confident. My dad is my dad. I think there's a lot yeah. of physical similarities between us, but uh, I am, you know, you want to see like your heritage and your, you know, your, yeah. um, you know, your lineage. So that, that'd be kind of interesting. I, I think about the COVID test too, where like, or the antibody test where I, I don't know if I would want to ever take the 
antibody test. I just don't know if I'd want to know that I had it right at one point because I've never had symptoms of it. So I would be really scared if it turns out that, oh, I had it at one point and it just, ah, uh, same thing with that in the DNA test. And I just, I don't want to know. Yeah, I just don't like taking tests. <laughs> well, that will do it for us this week. Uh, thanks again to Sean and Matthew for being on the show and thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site. And we'll talk to you next time. Hey!